the introduction reminded me of uh, one episode in my life when I was dating a, uh, excuse me, Lenny, uh, you, you've heard the story, uh, a very petite little blonde, and I was at her house helping her move in at the beginning of the school year, and uh, the phone rang. So I picked it up and I said, uh, student affairs, would you like one? <laughs> Is my daughter there, said her mother. <laughs> so, things, did, things sort of went downhill after that. Anyway, things, things your supervisor needs to know, there, there are a lot of them. Uh, because we have not been lecturing as broadly as uh, we should have been. Time just doesn't, uh, doesn't, there just isn't enough of it around. So here we go. I want you to know about malassezia and ketoconazole and acne. Malassezia is a little yeast, lives all over our bodies. Everybody has it. And uh, the problem is that some of us are allergic to it, and we're particularly allergic to it when it gets down in the holes. One of the things about medicine, I showed you this yesterday, you don't see what you're seeing until you see it, when you really see it. When you see it, it lets you see many other things. And one of the things that I've been seeing is what causes the fire in the hole and the inflammation and acne. The innate immune system is what causes the trouble, and basically it's reacting to a whole bunch of things that are down in the follicle. There are exogenous things, uh, like the bugs, the propyacnes, malassezia, demodex, and there's some other flora. But there are also endogenous things, the fatty acids that come from the sebum, the hair, the keratinous debris, and the sebum itself. The problem, what I'm going to discuss today is malassezia. There are 14 species of malassezia now described, and uh, they normally don't cause any disease unless there's some sort of immunocompromise. You can occasionally get uh, an indwelling catheter, a venous, or a venous catheter that'll get infected, that sort of thing, but normally they don't do much harm. The taxonomists have now buried pterosporon. If you read pterosporon or you hear pterosporon, uh, somebody's not up to date. 1988 was when pterosporon was converted over to malassezia, so it's now malassezia until they change it again. It's a dimorphic yeast, which means it can show up as little round balls like yeast, or it can also show up as filamentous hyphae. Uh, and the uh, filamentous hyphae is what you see with tinea versicolor. It's very lipophilic. It loves sebum. It eats sebum. In fact, you have to put an oil overlay on Sab, on Sabrode's plate, in order to grow it. Uh, it prefers sebum to moist or dry skin, and that's why it lives up on the top end of the body, which is oilier. It is subject to what I call the biotropic effect. You know tetracycline, you give it to ladies and you often get yeast infections. Same thing happens with malassezia and antibiotics. And you can get this biotropic effect with the cyclines, with clindamycin, terbinafine, uh, and even topical and systemic steroids. They all tend to enhance its growth, which creates problems. Now, a patient like this comes into uh, most folks and they take a look at it and say, Yep, there's some comedones up in there, and the rest are little follicular pustules. This must be acne. So the patient goes on doxycycline, tetracycline in the past, and uh, they get worse. But if you look at the chest, you'll see that uh, there are all sorts of little papular pustules here that are follicular papules, follicular pustules, and there are no comedones there at all. And this is malassezia folliculitis. Many of you will recognize it, but most GPs do not recognize this. You're in dermatology, you recognize things that your, your neighborhood GP won't recognize. The interesting thing is that this does not stop at the hairline. This goes right up into the hairline. And that is the differentiating feature. You hardly ever see comedonal lesions up here. You don't see acne in the scalp. But you do see folliculitis. And uh, what you have here is uh, a very cooperative gentleman who shaved off all his hair for me so that I could uh, so that I could see what was going on. Now, I want to show you the most widely ignored investigation into the cause of acne that's ever published. Now, this was written by three um, gentlemen in Britain. The interesting thing is that this has rarely shown up in the literature because of a typo. This gentleman's name was not Cuncliffe, it's Cunliffe. There's only one C. So if you look up Cunliffe, in uh, PubMed, you'll never get this paper because it doesn't show up. And for that reason, I think, it's been ignored for years and years and years. And it's important because these folks biopsied 
active lesions, and they found that 52% of one-day lesions and 68% of three-day duration papules have malassezia in them. Now that's a lot. That's a lot of yeast load. And if you find papular pustules on the forehead, neck, and back, it's almost always caused by malassezia, or at least malassezia is in there. Treatment, you stop the antibiotics, you put them on six to eight weeks of weekly pulsed ketoconazole, and they get better. There are a lot of biotropic uh, facilitators in this disease. Shampoos contain isochlorothiazolinones. That's the Kathon CG that's in a lot of shampoo, a lot of very popular shampoos, brands I am not going to brand today, and there are others as well. Um, antibacterial soaps with triclosan and so forth, they also will, I think, kill off all the bacteria very nicely, but they do not kill off malassezia. It's pretty resistant to these guys. The antioxidants and the preservatives and so forth that are present in makeup, likewise, are probably part of the biotropic problem. There are also the ones that we use every day, topical clindamycin, topical erythromycin, either alone or in uh, the various preparations that are available. Uh, I see probably two patients a week who have used one of these combinations with the clindamycin uh, <clears throat> or erythromycin topically who have secondary malassezia folliculitis. So what do you do about it? Um, one is tempted to use antifungals topically. Myconazole, terbinafine, uh, well, it's, you, know, you can get it to, uh, topically, but it's not normally for that end of the body. It's usually for feet and groins, uh, or ketoconazole. Rarely, you can get some uh, response to topicals, but not very well. Uh, Lynn and I uh, did one of the original studies on Nizoral shampoo uh, that got it on the market uh, 20 years ago. and. Uh, during that study, we had to do blood work, and uh, even with the most sensitive tests available, you could not find any, any suggestion that there was absorption of the ketoconazole from the shampoo. Uh, and that's actually how it got on the market, because ketoconazole had a bad reputation, but we, uh, we showed that it wasn't absorbed, and then we got approval for it. Ketoconazole and intraconazole are both effective, but keto is much more specific and much less expensive. Keto 200 milligram tabs, if you take two tabs in a single dose, once a week, just once a week, you have to have something with a low pH. Fruit juice does fine. We originally used to use grapefruit juice, but the complaints from giving patients grapefruit juice on an empty stomach first time in the morning with this pill were uh, overwhelming after a few years. So we now use orange juice, apple juice, or you can even use Coca-Cola Classic. There is a study uh, out of Toronto where they did pH studies and absorption studies at St. Michael's Hospital uh, that shows that ketoconazole is, is absorbed just fine with Coca-Cola Classic, but you can't use Diet Coke uh, and you can't use the others. You have to wait an hour before eating because you've got to give the drug time to get absorbed. And this is a bit of a problem, but I tell patients, do it on a day when you're not running out. Do it Saturday, do it Sunday, uh, so that you don't have to, so that you can actually give the one hour delay. I now start ketoconazole first in treating acne patients, with or without the antibiotics. If they come in on antibiotics, I will often leave them on the antibiotics, but then uh, but I add the ketoconazole. Why first? Because it gets rid of the malassezia that are present in 68% of the papules. And the other reason is you can actually kill resistant P acnes with ketoconazole. There's a study done in Japan they studied five different antifungals. They looked at itraconazole, ketoconazole, myconazole, fluconazole, and voriconazole, and they found that the ketoconazole actually kills P. acnes uh, as well as killing, uh, or at least eliminating the malassezia. I'll tell you more about the difference between killing and eliminating in a minute. But this is interesting. Anti-P. acnes activity of imidazole antifungal agents was reported more than 20 years ago. Where are the guys out there selling you uh, ketoconazole orally to get rid of P. acnes as well? The, this uh, business is so industry driven, ketoconazole has been off patent for so long that you're not going to get a salesman coming around telling you about ketoconazole, and that's the problem. Why ketoconazole first? Well, there's a good reason. It works. And why, instead of uh, vitriconazole, it's far cheaper, works with a once-weekly dose. I've got 15 years' experience with it, and it really does the job. 
Also, because if you use antibiotics first, you get more malassezia. So, duh, don't do that. Ketoconazole first, then the antibiotics. This little lady came in, very unhappy with her face. Uh, she had lots and lots of makeup on, trying to make herself look prettier. She's a pretty kid. So I put her on eight weeks of ketoconazole. How about that? Isn't that something? Really, really, really quite amazing. Eight weeks. Here's her chest before. It always goes down the chest and on the back as well. When you see it on the face, always look to look at the back and the chest to see if they have the little pustules there. It's sometimes more obvious there than it is um, right on the face. But if they have it there, here she is later, back and forth again. Really remarkable. Now, how does ketoconazole work? It inhibits liver enzymes, and it is a very aggressive inhibitor of liver, liver enzymes. So if you put patients on it every day, they will get their cytochrome P450, 3A4 uh, enzyme system really, really, really compromised. So that if you put them on it all the time, they feel just punk. They just feel sort of yucky. And if you add other medications in that are not eliminated because the, this enzyme system is compromised, then you get toxic effects from that other drug, not from the ketoconazole. So it has a really bad reputation. And if you have a chance, take a look at the, uh, the PI, the, pa the package insert. It's really quite scary. And the, the printout that the pharmacies give is likewise pretty scary. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a sec. Anyway, um, if you do it only weekly, it's not a big problem. The liver sort of says, huh, I wonder what that was and goes on about its business. Uh, but there's no buildup, and it works really well. You do get some upset stomach, fewer than 5%, but sometimes you have to limit therapy. And sometimes I will say, OK, forget about the uh, apple juice, forget about the orange juice, forget about the Coke. Just eat it with food, and we'll see if we can get away with it. And usually that works. Resistance is rare. I don't think I've ever seen a resistant case. Uh, where there is resistance, and you ask, you'll find that there's lack of compliance, <laughs> which is everywhere in medicine. How does it work? It actually modifies the effect of polys in the neighborhood. It inhibits polychemotaxis, and it depresses the ability of polys to kill bacteria and fungi, which is really kind of interesting. Why would it work when it's actually getting rid of the stuff that's supposed to clean up the fungus? Well, it's like this. I want you to think about this for a second. Time to build a concept. Think about pollen. If we spread pollen on all you guys here today, most of you, nothing would happen at all. But it's devastating if you're allergic to it. You'd be out of the room. The damage isn't done by the pollen. It's done by the friendly fire from our immune systems. And it's the same thing with malassezia. Malassezia causes trouble exactly the same way. You may not be allergic to it, but I am, and so are hundreds of your patients. And if they are allergic to it, they will show up uh, with a good-sized reaction whenever they go on antibiotics. So how does it work? You should think it should make matters worse, but it actually cools the fire. And that's job one, is to cool down the fire. And that's what ketoconazole does. It also inhibits the yeast's ability to evade phagocytosis. At least yeast is a little round ball. It doesn't have any legs, doesn't have any arms, doesn't have any little hooks or grabbers on it. And yet it goes down in the pore, It'll stay down in the pore, despite the fact that it's in a flow of, of sebum that's going north. It hangs on down, down there in the pore and enjoys the sebum for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you can interfere with its ability to hold on, it will be swept out of the pore. And uh, it, there's evidence that shows that the stickiness of the yeast is inhibited by the ketoconazole. So you wait for the organism to be phagocytized or pushed out of the orifice and you have to wait for the inflammatory reaction to die down. That's why it takes eight weeks to get better. Now, if the patient's elderly and they have a slow turnover, then you have to give a longer course. I started off giving six weeks. I now give eight routinely because that covers the older folks as well. Sometimes the pharmacist gives you uh, product information that scares the patient, so make sure the patient is fully informed before they go to the pharmacist. I have a handout for them so that they uh, can counter the pharmacist's uh, inaccurate information. Pharmacists may fail to provide full instructions, uh, so I always get a full instruction set. And there may be still some residual bacterial folliculitis left behind, so you still have to treat that. So you can kill all the yeast, but you still have bacteria looked after. 
long-term prophylaxis shampoos, the ketoconazole shampoo, the branded Nizarel was one uh, that we did in the uh, original study uh, down here. But Cyclopyrox works. It's very expensive in the U.S. Selenium sulfide, the 2.5% lotion, is, is somewhat expensive. It compares favorably. In fact, it was the control that was used in this study. And Selsun Blue with selenium sulfide works. Now, there are 15 Selsun Blue products on the market. Like Neomycin, it's become a trade name. Neomycin, you can, or Neosporin, sorry. Neosporin is a trade name. You can buy all sorts of things with the Neosporin label, but they don't have Neomycin in them. They don't have Neosporin in them. They just happen to be used, they're using the name. And uh, Selsun Blue is the same. Only four of the 15 have selenium in them, so you've got to tell your patients, look for the one that has selenium in it. Malassezi is everywhere. So you get it from your hats, your helmets, your hoodies, your uh, headrests, your hairbrushes, and your husband. Uh, it, it's the H disease. So you have to be sure to retreat or keep them going on the prophylaxis or they'll just get reinfected. If the shampoo routine is ineffective, then you, you go to the ketoconazole again. So uh, now I'm going to ask if there are any questions about that before I go on to rosacea. Ma'am, we're in the red. I have not done so simply because I'm not afraid of the drug, I'm afraid of the lawyers. Uh, the, the drug really is remarkably innocuous when dosed on a weekly basis. And one thing I didn't put in here because the, it was prepared some time ago, but there's a, there's a, a, a guru of, um, of Malassezia named Jan Fergeman, who uh, I think works in Norway. And he published about 25 years ago uh, something I found when I was writing a chapter for a book. Uh, he says all you have to do is take 400 milligrams once a month. Now, I have not tried that, and I'm, gonna, I'm now starting it on some of my patients. But once a month is certainly going to be close to innocuous, innocuous completely. So there was another question? I have two questions. Yep. I don't. Yes, it's a generic, and I've had no problems with it as far as insurance goes at all. Another question? What's the youngest to begin and reduce the dose reduce the dose based on weight. Uh, I use 50 kilograms, which is 110 pounds. Uh, below 110, I use one pill. Above 110, up to 220, I use two pills. And if they're over 220 pounds, I use three. And that's... You know, there are no studies on that. This is uh, all off-label. And um, it's, it's approved for funguses, but it's not really approved for this method of use. Can I go on to Rose? Oh, one more. I am not sure whether I put it on that. But if you, uh, if you write me, I'll send it to you. And uh, actually, if it is on there, it's probably out of date because I re recently rewrote it. So uh, you'll get a fresh one. I'll go on to rosacea now. Acne rosacea is uh, a problem because there are two parts of acne rosacea. There's the redness and there are the papulopustules. When you are managing the folliculitic component, uh, that's basically part of reducing the redness and the inflammation. But you also have to look after the other sources of the, of the erythema. So you've got to reduce sun exposure. These uh, products here, the sunscreen products here that contain titanium and zinc, uh, are superb for this. I have a lot of patients. There's one in particular called Face Coats, which I'm going to mention because I can't mention it generically here because that is the product uh, that we use and that is the product that patients love. Um, the other thing, broad-brimmed hats, uh, big sunglasses, think Jackie O sunglasses, great big ones that uh, can, you know, they're not just cool, uh, but they're, they involve the whole hair periorbital area. Now we're learning how to constrict the vessels to calm down the redness with oxymetazoline and bromonidine. Um, they work, but uh, we're not sure how much the bromonidine is going to be once it gets released. Limit vasodilators, obviously, watch out for the booze and the hot soup. Um, and destroy the vessels with laser or IPL. That you, many of you will do, be doing that yourself uh, in, your, in your clinics every day. The, uh, I'm going to talk about managing the folliculitic component now because that's really the acne part. 
What you need to do is reduce the stimuli to plugging of the pores. So you manage stress, dairy, and hormones, same thing we talked about yesterday. These, uh, these are follicular pilosebaceous units. They are under hormonal control, just like acne vulgaris, and you need to stay away from the hormones. You empty out the immunostimulant debris. There are all these keratinocytes and vellus hairs and sebum. Vellus hairs, I think, are a highly underestimated under, uh, cause of problem. Uh, you all have had ingrown hairs at one point or another. Immu hairs are supposed to be on the outside of the skin, and if they get under the skin, they cause all sorts of inflammatory reaction. And I can't see any reason why vellus hairs don't cause the same trouble as, uh, as a full-size terminal hair but no one's studied it because they're sort of hard to study. They're little and they're, they're, they're everywhere. So they're a little bit like the malassezia itself. Everybody has them, but not everybody's really allergic to them or irritated by them. Then there are the flora, malassezia, p. acnes, uh, staph epidermidis, and the, the fauna, the demodex folliculorum. So you need anti-inflammatory oral and topical medications to look after all of these. Now, 80% of what I see as far as rosacea will usually go away just with one of the Metro products. Metro cream, Metro gel, Metro lotion. 80% uh, after eight weeks are essentially clear if they're good therapists. The other 20% are the ones that wind up in my office saying, I've tried Metro gel, I've been on Metro gel for eight years and it doesn't work, I'm still red, I'm still pimply and yada yada. That's because Metro gel, even Galderma does not know what Metro gel does. Okay, I've asked them. I said, I want some science on this. Sorry, doc, it's an orphan drug. They resurrected it as an orphan drug and turned it into a huge moneymaker. That built Galderma. It's a drug that was used for vaginal uh, problems and, and that was it for metro, for um, what is that little bug down there? Trichomonas, yeah. Anyway, zero dairy, low glycemic load, spironolactone, hormone replacement therapy if necessary, and you gotta empty out the immunostimulant debris. So a gentle retinoid, a dapolene 0.1% cream is one of the gentlest out there. It's now generic, so you're not spending 200 bucks, 230 bucks on a tube of uh, cream. Uh, eliminate the others, the flora and the fauna. The ketoconazole, we can get rid of, uh, sorry, we use ketoconazole to get rid of the malassezia. We use minocycline and doxycycline for the P. acnes and minocycline for the staph but also we use either elamite, which is pyrethrins, or stromectol, which is ivermectin, uh, to get rid of demodex. And uh, the, the dose is interesting. Um, they come in, th the, the last one, the stromectol, ivermectin, comes in a three milligram tablet because it's used for treating kids all up and down the Nile. The, the, you've heard of uh, Nile Valley blindness. Uh, this is the treatment that's used by World Health Organization. There's one publication in which they discussed two million doses given, and they only had, I think there were five positive rea negative reactions to it, upset stomachs and stuff like that. I mean, the stuff is remarkably safe. So we give one pill, one three milligram tablet, for every 30 pounds. So if somebody comes in, they weigh 150 pounds, you give them five pills. But you gotta give it three times. You got five pills this week, five pills next week, five pills the next week, and that will pretty much eliminate any scabies that they may happen to have at the same time, but it also uh, does a nice job at eliminating uh, the demodex. Sometimes the elimination is very inflammatory, uh, and you can get, as these mites die, they release antigens and they, you can get a pustular reaction where they live. So it can be quite exciting sometimes. Now what about uh, the anti-inflammatory, that's the metronidazole, and, uh, and I, I covered that earlier. So eliminate the flora from the fauna. This is another huge, interesting thing. The demodex actually is infected with a little bacillus called Bacillus oleroneus. It lives right down in the demodex's gut. And patients have been shown to have uh, a serum reactivity to, with an immune reactivity to the antigens from uh, B. oleroneus. So what you have to do is get the flora out of the fauna, uh, and, and it, it's possible that metronidazole does that. We're not sure about that. It may be, uh, but Galderma, again, doesn't know. They haven't done the work. Now, that's rosacea. Uh, okay, we're on time. I want to talk about the really mean acne next. Uh, the really mean acne is acne inversa. And acne inversa is interesting because 
Uh, it's normally called Hidradenitis suppurativa, despite the fact that it is suppurative, but it has nothing to do with the sweat glands, except secondarily. This is a disease of the folliculopilosebaceous unit. It is not a disease of sweat glands. So it's totally misnamed to call it Hidradenitis suppurativa. It's like pyogenic granuloma. They're not pyogenic, and they're not granulomas. I mean, there are names in our specialty that are ridiculous, but they are traditional and they have stuck with us for years. The, uh, I want to just give you some basic anatomy here. Here's the sebaceous gland down here. We're gonna talk about the junction between the sebaceous gland and the follicular portion of this unit. I'm also gonna make reference to this area from here down as the pilar unit. This is the follicular unit. This is the sebaceous unit. This is the follicular, sorry, this is the sebo-follicular canal that goes in here. And down here is a thing called the bulge. This is where the stem cells live in, uh, in the follicle. This is where if you pluck out a hair and you lose all your uh, um, generative epithelium down here, that's where this comes from. And this regenerates whatever uh, is called for depending on the environment, and I'll tell you more about that in a sec. Here's what uh, a follicle, a follicular unit looks like here. This one doesn't have much of a canal because of the level of section. These are the sebaceous glands down here. There can be up to a dozen of them depending on how active they are. And this is what they look like under the microscope. You see here that there is a very, very short canal here. These, uh, there are no pools of sebum under here. This business of sebum pooling under the skin and causing acne is really nonsense. Sebum is nice, oily stuff, and at room temperature, it's really slippery, and it goes, slips right up the follicle between uh, all, the, uh, all the little uh, cells that are there and up along the hair. There's no, there are no pools. Steatosystoma multiplex, you may have heard of, it is a pool of sebum, but uh, acne does not have pools of sebum. These cells here actually melt only when they get up, right up close against the hair follicle, and that's what they're there for, is to lubricate the follicle and lubricate the skin. This area here, uh, just to orient you, and I'm sorry, I don't know whether you guys on this side can see it, I'll do it on both sides. Here is the hair here, it's out here, out on this side, up in here. This is the sebo-follicular junction. This is the sebaceous gland material down here. This is the edge of the, of the follicle. So this is the edge of the follicle here, and if you look in here, the, there's no purple stuff. And you look here, there's a nice PAS positive. Actually, this is only about one plus. Uh, and here, there isn't any. And it comes back in here. And just at the neck, where the sebaceous gland joins the the follicle itself, there is no support. And this is why patients burst their follicles, I believe. Now, we, there's a lot more to do on this, but this is the first time that we've ever been able to show a physical defect in patients with hidradenitis suppurativa where there's actually a loss of uh, some sort of structure that normally would be there. Now, if you look at eccrine glands, the, the uh, PAS positive material here is four times that thickness. And if you look at uh, apocrine glands, it's the same. And if you look at the, uh, the dermal, um, the, the basement membrane, it's about four times that thickness. So this is already attenuated here, but it's all, almost zero here. And that's where it bursts. So it really is acne inversus because it's the inverse end of the follicle that, that bursts. So I'm quite happy with that name, even though it was found sort of accidentally. Now here is an illustration. This is again, uh, the, there was a hair in here which came out in sectioning. This is an intact part. You can see the, the purple on the edge. Does it project well enough? Yeah, you can see the purple line there. It's not really thick, but it's there. And over here, there's no purple line and all this inflammation. This is the inflammation that is the initial part of hidradenitis suppurativa before things burst wide open. So just to run you through the pathogenesis of HS, acne inversa, the hormones cause retention hyperkeratosis. That leads to expansion of the duct. You get a strain on the limiting PAS positive basement membrane. It's a congenitally weak area at the sebo-follicular junction, and it leads to leakage. 
That's a reference to the paper on that by someone, somebody I know. And this leads to an accumulating inflammatory cells, which you just see here, and more cytokines, more chemokines. That leads to destruction. You actually get destruction of the sebaceous glands. If you do a biopsy of, uh, of an area of HS, AI, you will see that the sebaceous gland load in that area is 80% gone. These follicles blow off their sebaceous glands because of this weakness. They're eaten up. They may not blow up into full HS, but the glands are gone. That study was published just in the last 18 months. And, uh, and we found that going through our, our sections for the paper uh, we recently published. Um, the distal portion of the follicular unit is blown off. The hair is resorbed, gone. But the interesting thing is that you get a release of stem cells. And the stem cells from that bulge area, they turn into a proliferative mass. And I'll show you pictures of the proliferative mass in, coming up. That invades the area, causes all sorts of destruction in the subcutis, and causes these sinuses that go underneath the skin and cause so much trouble for these patients. Uh, how many of you treat or see hydranitis uh, separativa regularly? Yeah, it's out there. Uh, two, some stats say 1% of the population. Some people say up to 3% of the population, but it's generally undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. It's a boil, you get an IND, you go home. And that happens like for 15 years, you keep going into your local ER. Not a good thing. So we're gonna have to do a major uh, educational um, effort on this. The keratinized epithelium line cysts, sinus formation lead to the scarring that is characteristic in the worst stage of the disease. This is just a nice little picture, putting it all together. The Western diet, high glycemic load, milk and the other dairy, the casein, the whey, the insulin levels, as I talked to you yesterday, the IGF-1 goes up through the FOX01 mechanism down to the androgen receptor being opened. The androgens come in. Now, there are normal everyday androgens that are endogenous and everybody has them in various, depending on male or femininity. These ones here, they then go to the androgen receptor. Dairy androgens go also to the androgen receptor and there are also a whole bunch of androgenic progestins in the birth control pills and the various contraceptives like we talked about yesterday. We have seen several patients with medroxyprogesterone acetate who never had HS before and bang, they got this once they got really loaded with a good androgenic uh, progestin. This all works through uh, mammalian target of rapamycin C type one or mTORC1 and uh, that triggers messenger RNA and that uh, increases your ductal keratinocyte turnover, which is what plugs the pore in the first place. So nicotine also will increase ductal keratinocyte plugging. So that's why these patients have to stop smoking. If they're smokers, they have to stop smoking. You get an increase in the interductal keratinocytic plug, increased pressure, expansion of the duct, genetic weakness of the wall, the clothing, cleansers, detergents, irritants, pressure, friction, you get rupture. You get release of the stem cells. The stem cells make germinal centers in the proliferative mass. The proliferative mass needs to be either unroofed, which I'll show you in a sec, or you do the full excision, which is the, you know, this is the nuclear option. You send them to the plastic surgeons and get it all cut out. Um, that should, I would love to see massive surgery for stage three Hurley HS eliminated. Probably not in my lifetime, but sometime in the next 20 years. On this side, the increased interductal pressure causes the hypoxia, causes failure of terminal differentiation. That leads to failure of the keratinocytes to separate, and around we go again. This here, you rupture, the material gets under the skin, you get the inflammatory mass, which is different but may coexist with the proliferative mass, and you treat that with medical therapy. Diet, hormone control, IL steroid, anti-inflammatories. And that's where the biologics come in. And that's the only place where biologics are useful in this disease. So caring for the acne and acne inversa. First of all, you've got to reduce all the stimuli to plug the pores. And a lot of that we covered yesterday in the acne talk. Zero dairy. And I'll show you some stats on that in a minute. Stats we just recently developed. The rest of the stuff is all how to look after acne, low glycemic load, spironolactone. You can read all this. 
Interestingly, vitamin C, just as an aside, again, unproven. These patients, I thought to myself, gee, that's funny, that collagen doesn't work very well. We know vitamin C is important for collagen. We know that smoking reduces the uh, blood level of vitamin C. So on a half a dozen patients who came in as first thing, I said, hey, off to the, off to the lab, you got an ascorbic acid done. One of them was normal, the other five were low. These folks have subclinical scurvy, believe it or not. And so I now put them all in vitamin C to see whether that will help. The trouble is, it takes so long that we, it'll be a long time before we can uh, we have that sort of uh, information available. So more preliminary results, okay? These are not published, uh, but I thought you'd like to see them. We have dictated our notes for years, so we have a whole stack of Word documents. So we did a search for hydridinitis in, back to 1997. And we, we also checked our computerized billing records uh, for 705.83, and we found 405 patients that we've seen over the past 15 years. We sent out questionnaires to them all. Uh, we got a lot of them back. We got 78 of them back. What I'm reporting on here is the first 75. In general, we use SurveyMonkey, uh, which is a great little uh, facility. The 66% of them got better or clear on the zero dairy diet. Got clear and stayed clear, 24%. That's pretty good. That's a heck of a lot better than uh, any of the biologics can claim. Better but not clear, but a little better. So 66% better or clear. 22% thought the diet really helped. And the interesting thing is that um, that advice only went out for the past, say, three years. So of the 405 uh, questionnaires that went out, a lot of them didn't get that advice. Uh, the Im important thing is, though, that 0% got worse. And that's, that's really nice. Uh, you know, you, it's hard to beat. This is primum non nucera. And this is despite the fact they weren't all really dairy-free. Only 26% of them did 100% avoidance. Most of them were about 80% and others were lower. But um, all of the ones who tried got better. Uh, nobody got worse. So what else? Detergents. I was going to tell you a lot about detergents, but I'm just going to say one word. Enzymes. There are enzymes in almost all the laundry detergents you use. They are really hard on the skin. There is only one laundry detergent on the market that does not have enzymes in it. And uh, it's called all Free clear. It's ha it has a booth at the academy meetings, and uh, I mentioned the trade name because it's the only way out there, and it's the only way I can identify it for you. So if you have patients who are itchy, scratchy, dry, got cirrhosis, whatever, they should be on an enzyme-free laundry detergent, and all is the way to go. I tell people that all people should be all people. How's that? Punch to Bridemond. I want to show you this. This is mini unroofing. How to get rid of the new, fresh hot spot in uh, a patient with hydroadenitis suppurativa. This is a right breast. This is her lateral mole to identify that. This is her left breast with a lateral mole to identify the left side. <laughs> very convenient. I have very cooperative patients. This is a hot, fresh lesion that she came in with. And as usual, you know, we put a little steroid in it uh, and see whether it'll heal up. If you're lucky, and you give the steroid early, you can actually get reconstitution of the follicular pilosebaceous unit. But sometimes it just blows up and then you've got the, the full problem. Well, she, she um, did pretty well with that first one. But eight weeks later, she was back in with this. Now, you can see the surgical stab wounds in both of these. She was in, she couldn't get into the office in time, so she went to the ER and they did an IND, you know, poke and squeeze, and that was all they did. And she was in to see me because she was really, really tender. Doc, you've got to fix this. this uh, what they did didn't work. And we hear this all the time. IND is not a proper treatment for hydradenitis separativa lesions. She also had, same day, she had a hot spot. I don't know whether you can see that, but it's pink uh, right in that location there. So what we did was we did a 5-millimeter punch, took it out there, took two 5-millimeter punches out of her breast, sealed it up with ferric chloride, and I haven't seen her since, because I said, you gotta stop smoking. You gotta stop drinking milk and eating ice cream and cheese and butter and yogurt and sour cream and anything that comes from a cow, okay? So, 
bottom line is she is now fine, and she's one of my she's one of my successes. Here's what we took out. This is the uh, this is the top. Obviously, this is the burst cyst underneath, uh, and this is what was left over after the IND. Okay, so this this is great foreign body left behind. They got the pus out, but they didn't get the cause of the pus out. Here's another one, but this one here has. This is, a, 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 this is now trying to make a new follicle. This is the beginning of one of those sinuses. And that, if left in there, would just cause more and more trouble. Here's another one. They were successful, at least in this cut, in getting out the foreign material, but there's still lots of inflammatory reaction in there. This is probably eating up the foreign material. So unroofing, real unroofing. This is mini unroofing. I haven't published on that yet. That'll come. Uh, but the real unroofing we have published on, you can look it up in JAD. And uh, what we normally do if we have large areas is suggest that they have a biologic, biological therapy first to cool things down. It makes it a lot easier to get the local in and so forth. Uh, and it doesn't matter which one you use, they all uh, work temporarily, but they all don't work as far as long-term care. Uh, Remicade is the best one. Atanercept, the studies have not shown really good results. Adalimumab, um, I'll show you a patient who was on adalimumab. We haven't started using istekinumab yet. Um, the patient I'm going to show you has had six months of adalimumab. So what we're really showing you is unroofing following failure of a biological. This little lady came to us from California. Uh, she's 23. She uh, was having a heck of a time. Uh, obviously, bicycling and sex were out. Uh, and she was really, really having a difficulty. So she came in, uh, my staff uh, marked her up, and then we got her anesthetized. And uh, you can see she's all nice and white. Uh, we took off the tops of the two lesions on the right side, and um, staff did that for me. And then I uh, attacked this one on the left. Now, she was scheduled to go to the OR to have a partial vulvectomy by a friend of the family who was a plastic surgeon. Uh, we intervened and, uh, and did what I'm going to show you instead. What you do is you make the cut from the top, and I'll show you a video of this in a different patient in a minute. You put a probe in, and then you cut down on the probe so that you know you're in to where the action is. Then you take some scissors and you just cut around the edges. You take off the flap that's over either side. Gradually, you cut back until it looks nice and clean. Now, that looks nice and clean. It looks like you could just leave it and then granulate in. But she was on adalimumab, so all the inflammation was gone. There was not a drop of pus during this excision, not a drop. And so what's this? Well, this is the gelatinous mass. This is the invasive gelatinous mass that tracks in, t along the area of least resistance into groins, into buttocks, goes everywhere. And I'll show you what it looks like. You can cure it out. It looks like a jelly. It's sort of a pink, gloppy jelly. And you can you, you see I've gone along one side and I've flopped it over. This is the proliferative gelatinous mass of Hydrodenitis suppurativa acne inversa. Scoop it all out, gives you a nice, clean base, and then you gotta go clean up the margins. You see there's still some activity out here, out here. So you go back in and you trim that away. Good local anesthesia, I always have my staff do it. They can take the time. I'm always in a hurry. If I, if, if I give you anesthesia, I'm going to hurt you. So I have patients take the time, the staff does it, and uh, it works a whole lot better for everybody that way. Uh, a couple more spots removed, just cleaning up the little guys left around, and then you seal it up with ferric chloride. Ferric chloride is available from your, uh, probably the place that you buy everything, I'm not supposed to mention names, but. Uh, it's easily available. And it doesn't matter whether you buy molar or molal, it both, they both work. Now this is, again, to remind you, this is where the defect is. And here is, oh, sorry, this is where the defect is. And this is a miniature sebaceous gland that has been pretty much all blown off, but there's still a little bit left. This is just trimming out some more of the material underneath. And this here is a video of doing it live. So what you do is you go in there with your scissors and you find where the defect is and you just cut down until you're, we use blunt-ended scissors. 
there, uh, and what you can do is just keep cutting until you run into normal skin where you can't cut anymore. So you cut the center out, and then you go back and you take the sides off. And while you're taking the sides off, you uh, gradually look around to see whether there are any sinuses heading east, west, north, or south, or deep. And you go and you find those with the, uh, with the probe, uh, using the scissors as a probe, or you can use one of those malleable probes if you want. Uh, but the scissors are usually quite sufficient. And as you're going along, you use grattage. Uh, th this is old-style gauze. It's harsh. You can rub and scrub with it. The new gauze uh, is too soft and mushy and just doesn't do the job. You can curette if you want, but sometimes uh, it's better to, if you get into deep holes, it's better not to curette because you, there are nerves and blood vessels and things down there that you don't want to disturb. When you're cutting with scissors in this disease, keep your scissors parallel to the skin surface so that you don't go deep. Everything is fairly superficial. You scrub like mad, and then you just go looking around for trouble. And if you find trouble, you cut it out. And it's amazing how well these folks heal. In six weeks, she will have a flat, smooth scar there that uh, most boyfriends won't even notice. And I'll just, uh, how far along are we? I think it's a four minute, 30 seconds. Can you take it out to four minutes? Oh, we're almost there anyway. This is sealing it up, ferric chloride. Dressings, afterwards, all you do is put Vaseline on there, just a big glob of Vaseline. Sometimes you may put a sanitary pad over it. Sometimes you may just put a few folds of gauze over it. But what you want to do is get it really well glopped up with Vaseline so that uh, they don't have trouble uh, cleaning up and getting the dressing off later, because that's really uncomfortable. Most of these patients require no post-op anesthesia. I had a truck driver that we did, and did from the middle of his buttock down into his perineum. He's a transcontinental truck driver. He took his tub of Vaseline, he went back to work, and he healed up in about four weeks, never lost a day of work, despite having a wound that was five times the size of this young lady's. So this is just finding more and, uh, and carrying on. Now sometimes, one of the big problems we have is getting enough anesthesia in, because sometimes we do things that are so big that we, it takes a lot of xylocaine, and giving xylocaine to large areas like that is not fun. So we're presently negotiating with the local plastic surgeons and <laughs> teaching him how to do it so that uh, they can do it in an OR under, under, proper, under proper anesthesia. We don't worry about uh, sterility much. Uh, there's already a lot of infection in these areas. And uh, the, the ferric chloride is a very good uh, styptic and antiseptic so that there's nothing going to grow once the, uh, once the, once the uh, ferric chloride is in there. So I think I'll just go on to the next one and uh, talk about where we're, where we're headed. IND, IND is not a treatment for this disease. It's a surgical therapy for a temporary emergency release, relief of pain. If you have an opportunity to do an IND, you really should convert that opportunity into an unroofing, whether it's a punch or the, uh, the full unroofing. Try to avoid steroids and all the other uh, heavy-duty therapy. Yes, you can put patients on triple antibiotics, but the triple antibiotic therapy that was used, all three of the antibiotics were anti-inflammatories. So again, you would get rid of the inflammation, but you're not going to get rid of the inflammatory mass. Oral anti-inflammatories are useful, topicals are useful, but biologicals are not a treatment for AI. They don't stop the disease. They're useful for short-term suppression. They also offer false hope. And that's not just false hope offered to the patient, it's false hope offered to the doctors. If you're prescribing this in the anticipation that you're gonna make patients better for once and for all, you've been deluded. So just uh, try to remember that it's a useful tool, but it's not the one and only, and it's not a successful tool. If you'd like to look up, remember I showed you yesterday this business about uh, the role of FOXO1 and mTORC, for Western diet induced acne, same thing for hydradenitis suppurativa. And the same thing for some, many of the things that are used in HS, 
are also governed by the uh, FOXO1 and mTORC1 pathway. And you can read my commentary on that. So the take-home messages, stop dairy in all acnes, whether it's rosacea, inversa, or vulgaris. Take a look at acnemilk.com. We went through this yesterday. This is for the benefit of those who missed yesterday's. <laughs> okay, consider the full Paleolithic diet. It's available on the internet. Control the androgens whenever possible. Block them, reduce them. Use vitamin D3 for the reasons I told you yesterday. Push a low glycemic diet. Rely on drospirinone, and as I told you yesterday, because of the uh, legal cloud over drospirinone, more of the norgestimate. Suspect malassezia everywhere. It really is everywhere. It's just that not everybody's allergic to it. Eliminate all the immunoantigens, the immunostimuli. Uh, when, it's, when the uh, adaptive immune system is involved, you call them antigens. When the, uh, the uh, innate, you call them stimuli. Empty and normalize the ducts, no nicotine. Vitamin C and zinc for all the AI folks. Never IND when you can simply unroof. Spare the tissue, spare the time, spare the expense uh, with unroofing. Here's where you get your help. And just remember there's a solid link between diet and acne becoming better and better uh, every year. There are the reasons, the hyperinsulinemia, the elevated IGF, the exogenous hormones. As Albert Kligman said, try to help your patients to help themselves to actually achieve the ultimate goal in medical practice prevention. So check your handouts, there's lots of them there. And uh, access up-to-date. Uh, some of your institutions will have up-to-date as uh, an available option uh, in the, in, on your computers. Uh, Dr. Margeson and I wrote the section on HSAI. Uh, the one that's up there right now is a little out of date. It's not up-to-date. <laughs> we just sent in the up-to-date. Uh, they're busy editorializing on it because uh, we don't get to say what we don't want to say. We, we get to say whatever they let us say. So <laughs> it's like that. Uh, any questions on this? I got a couple other little extras to get to the end of the hour, but uh, do you have any questions about HSAI? Okay. Thank you all very much.